Chapter 3. Design Your Life The designer constructs the world within which he sets the dimensions of the problem space and invents the moves by which he attempts to find solutions. Donald Sean Just 20 miles from the site of Owens Lanark Mills, I stood nervously on the start line at the side of Hagenfield Lock in Glasgow. It was the 1998 Freshers Race at Strathclyde University, in between national schools champions and more seasoned-looking exchange students, I stood there in borrowed shorts in a first return to athletics since high school several years before. This was the day my true academic career started, in my fifth year at university. Graduation was around the corner for my engineering master's degree, but I had never been fully engaged, only fleetingly applying myself fully given the naturally interesting field of design in between the many distractions and, of course, joys of student life in Glasgow. The possibility of continuing to do a PhD gave me a second chance to see what real thinking my brain could manage. Given that my friends were leaving to start their careers, I made the jump across the road to the sports centre for social reasons as much as sporting. The daily routine of thinking and running and writing sustained me through a successful doctoral research project, finishing in under three years and travelling around the world. My best thinking and answers to tough problems would come during my running, and I would often write most prolifically, scribbling furiously by hand while on various modes of public transportation as I travelled to and from my training sessions. Such a routine was repeated at Stanford, where I spent part of my second year, training with a track team visiting Bay Area startups and doing hill repeats to the satellite dish overlooking campus. Although I never gave it much thought at the time, various forms of mobility giving energy to creativity, productivity and clarity, I just knew that it worked for me. So does it work for everybody? I think it can, and I've seen it happen countless times with the executives who have attended my SEP programme. Seeing some of the world's best-ranked executive education classes at close quarters several years after my own athletic epiphany led me to question how deep insight and learning could be achieved by sitting in one's chair for several days running. The simplicity of the move element of the set model was conceived right there. But how could it be delivered within the rarefied elite MBA and business world where physical matters can be perceived as non-professional. The answer lay in my engineering education and the field of design. From a Master of Engineering Design degree to the PhD in Engineering Design Management, researching the work on virtual design teams, I came to examine design from a variety of perspectives, contexts and locations. From the simple yet insightful, researchers found the design of a chair to affect creative methods, as we discuss in Chapter 6, Move, to the complex approach to society's wicked problems, including clean water use in third world countries, design is the lever by which we make the triple lens of sustainability function. So what is design? On a simple level, design is the process whereby something is created. This creative process is followed by some manufacture or elaboration so that the design becomes reality. Design thinking has gained great interest in the management community the past several years, with much of that through the work of IDEO and its founder, David Kelly. 
Kelly was one of the first interviews I carried out in 2001 during my Stanford stay, later meeting some of his earliest collaborators with whom he founded David Kelly Design in the late 1970s. The defining characteristics of design as espoused by Kelly complemented my own engineering-centric Scottish education. I came to understand design as a process where rigour was balanced with the space and freedom for creativity. The University of Strathclyde was, and still is, at the forefront of engineering design education worldwide, building on the rich design traditions of Glasgow, such as the work of Charles Rennie Mackintosh, to establish a design chair under the direction of Professor Stuart Pugh, whose methods on total design, principally concept design selection, would be exported to classrooms around the world, including Stanford. Although we may argue that design has been part of human activity for millennia in terms of the world that we have created, design as a field of science is only about 60 years old. The birth of design as a research field can be traced back to the 1960s with the creation of the first design models and the publication of Design Methods by J.C. Jones in 1970 which marked a milestone in moving design understanding to the masses. Basic design methods such as brainstorming and morphological analysis were formalised and related to an understanding of the process of design. In 2001, I worked with Larry Leifer at the Centre for Design Research, which conceived several innovative research tools, including the Design Observatory, which allowed detailed observation studies to be conducted in the design process. The Centre for Design Research, still thriving today, was one of the key elements at Stanford from which the Hassel Plattner Institute of Design, or D-School, was formed in 2003 under the direction of Kelly. Since then, the power of design has begun to be recognised on a global level, in different industries as well as education, where the creative thinking skills of a designer are appreciated for students of all types. Recognising the success of Kelly and colleagues at IDEO, Business Week ran a cover on the power of design in 2007, the same year in which a call was made to change MBA-based education from the current B or business school reality to the D or design school. Harvard Business Review then published several design-driven articles that recognised this shift. With IDEO CEO Tim Brown's design thinking, improving global awareness yet nevertheless showing that design is no panacea. The main case study presented by Brown, the Shimano coasting system, was an unmitigated disaster. In spite of growing awareness and practice, the quality of that design practice has at times suffered through an association with overly simple methods and a plethora of management consultancies worldwide who began to sell design expertise armed with nothing more than a basic understanding of these methods a collection of brightly coloured post-it notes. In general, however, the rapid growth of design in the public consciousness and leadership of design-driven companies has been positive, with much potential for value in different areas of our modern world still to be realised. The question, what is design, is further answered by the following six defining characteristics. Design is human. Design is, above all things, human, it looks to create a world that satisfies the needs we have as human beings. These could be the products we use, from a simple toothbrush to a car. Such products need to perform their job or function for which they are created, clean teeth or transport people, and so involve the necessary technical and ergonomic factors 
fulfilling that function in as enjoyable a manner as possible. For our context of health, well-being and performance, we may consider the design of our work environments on both a physical level, such as building design and office furniture, to the wider systems that operate in our designed environment, such as city design and transport. The human needs that design aims to satisfy involve some form of dynamic nature, during a day or indeed a life. Although the ultimate need or function of a toothbrush will remain the same, the means of satisfying that need in the design of the toothbrush for a three-year-old compared to an adult will be very different. In many cases, assumptions need to be challenged. IDEO challenged the assumption that young children brush their teeth in the same way as adults. The fisting-type process employed by children whereby they wrap their whole fist around the handle rather than hold it with their fingers meant that a larger, not smaller, toothbrush was required. The design of drug packaging for elderly users who suffer from dementia has to satisfy very specific needs for it to fulfil its function. Empathy is a key term related to the human nature of design. How may we fully understand the needs of another human being if we have not walked in their shoes? The MIT Transportation Lab considered such a question for elderly users and developed the Agnes suit, standing for Age Gain Now Empathy System, which allowed them to physically experience the effects of ageing through, for example, reduced mobility and blurred vision. Such experiences help with a better grasp of those human needs that may then be satisfied through a better designed environment. Empathy may also be driven in the workplace. A television programme in the UK centres on a company CEO, Incognito, spending a week working at some introductory level of the organisation. The insights derived help them to fully appreciate the different daily reality of people in the organisation and therefore better understand the business. Design satisfies needs. Design produces some solution that subsequently becomes reality, either as a manufactured product, a new service or a solution of another type. These solutions satisfy some requirement or need. More than simply solving problems, needs may not even be articulated by the user because the user doesn't know the solution is needed. Needs may also exist on extreme level of particular interest in design because these extreme needs are often characteristic of lead users, a part of the population who may offer insight into the future because they experience such needs ahead of the general population. Satisfying the needs of lead users also tests the boundaries of design solutions to such an extent that the needs of the general population may be more easily met. Needs in the developing world represent a powerful context in which design thinking may be applied in extreme conditions where, for example, the infrastructure or resources of the first world cannot be assumed. In the SEP model, extreme users include the CEO, who has her focus at a premium daily with multiple demands on her time, and the road warrior, who needs to be able to sleep better on a plane. Design is hidden. Human needs may be very difficult to articulate, and designers question aspects of our human life that are often difficult to see or appreciate as being necessary to improve. Donald Sean said that, We know more than we can say. 
and the subconscious part of our brains often drive our actions. Gerald Zaltman, a Harvard professor, has stated that conscious activity represents only 5% of cognition. The hidden 95% is therefore the target of design if we want to satisfy human needs. Design primarily through borrowing tools from sociology and anthropology uses different methods to uncover those hidden needs. Design concerns process. Although it can be conceived as a noun, a better way to understand design is as a verb. Design is about doing. And although there is freedom within a necessarily creative endeavour, structure and process are required for design to work and to produce the desired end result. Design begins with a brief and follows a creative process, whereby potential solutions or concepts are generated and then evaluated, before the necessary details are elaborated to move that design toward reality. As part of my design education at Strathclyde and following Pew's total design methodology, I came to understand design as a process that followed the steps of product design specification, concept generation, concept evaluation, embodiment design, detail design, and manufacture. Irrespective of the exact stages, which may differ between organisations, such a process tends to follow a similar flow, whereby the solution space expands and then contracts, following a principle of divergence and convergence. Iteration is also a key factor whereby some element of testing allows us to more rapidly move toward a more robust solution. IDEO's process, the subject of a Harvard case study, includes these notions within the conceptualization of the three R's, rough, ready, right, where physical prototyping plays a key role in developing insight early in the process. Design is enabled through methods. Design is equipped through various tools or methods and is employed at different stages of the process to progress toward an optimum solution. Much of the design thinking movement is based on a set of tools or methods that are used to understand the user, challenge assumptions, generate concepts, and essentially connect the need, user, and designer. Many of these methods have been taken from other fields, such as the shadowing method we discuss in the next chapter which has its roots in anthropology. Others include the simple engineering-based method, root cause analysis. Prototyping is a specific method that allows the process to be both explorative and iterative and accelerates progress towards a solution. Design is holistic. In addressing human needs, which are often hidden, design has a necessary broad base of coverage and is holistic and exploratory in its approach. Part of the iterative process of design is necessary as a means of exploring wide solution spaces and discovering new ways of doing things. It is also holistic in terms of the disciplines or expertise that it includes. Design teams are almost always multidisciplinary and may contain engineers, MBAs, lawyers and doctors who integrate their knowledge and experience to move toward the best design solution. Design to disrupt education. Design, with these six defining characteristics, is the lever with which we may connect the individual to the organisation and also society. 
It therefore acts as the key driver for innovation, leadership and resilience, which are the true results of a holistic treatment of sustainability. So what are the human hidden needs required by the 21st century business professional to improve performance? How may we better design processes, cultures, environments, buildings and even furniture to satisfy those aims? The set model and wider discussion in this book aims to address these questions. Given that Business Week made the call for the B school to become a D school in 2007, how has design been taught within the leading MBAs of the world? The answer, it hasn't. With some notable exceptions, it remains the same model as before. Even at Stanford, the D School and the Graduate School of Business have collaborated only relatively recently. As well as design being a topic in education, it may be used as a tool to rethink the educational system. Higher education in particular is expecting a a wave of disruption from the technological revolution and growing prevalence of massive open online communities or MOOCs. However, MOOC usage seems to have stalled, perhaps only temporarily, and one of the reasons could be that the focus has been overly technological. Some of my own research on virtual teams argued for the balance to be redressed from what seems to be purely technical or technological issues to a more human-focused one. Something that design shows us. And Stanford D School professors such as George Kimball have looked at how the learning experience may be redesigned to better reflect the needs of today, arguing in the year 2010 that we're still running an educational model developed for the Industrial Revolution designed to prepare workers for factory jobs. He says that the classroom of 2020 will be characterised by the lone professor being replaced by a team of coaches and tidy lectures supplanted by messy real-world challenges, adding that students will work in collaborative spaces where future doctors, lawyers, business leaders, engineers, journalists and artists learn to integrate their different approaches to problem-solving and innovate together. Such a vision is a reality in many design schools and courses worldwide, such as the D School. Yet implementing such a vision in non-design schools is still a challenge. I've attempted to implement design education within one of the world's best-ranked MBA courses at ESA Business School in Barcelona. The highly specialised structure of the MBA can make it difficult while also conditioning the students to perceive the flexibility and freedom of design thinking as time off from their usual pressured, yet still more tidy, lectures and cases. The line between freedom and fun, yet maintaining diligence and learning, can be a difficult one to manage for those used to more rational thought and defined structure. For greater insight into these issues and the means of integrating a design vision into the MBA world, I talked to a designer with several years' experience in the field. Design for Management Education Lucy Kimball has been teaching design to MBA students at Oxford since 2005. A designer, researcher and educator Lucy's Oxford Design Elective covers areas including service design, social innovation, entrepreneurship and scenario planning. Collaborating principally with the Operations Management Department at Oxford, she entered Design Academia with a desire to find more sophisticated answers to design issues that she encountered in her consultancy work. These design issues concerned the adaptability and responsiveness of an organisation to a deep understanding 
of consumer needs and experiences. Having previously taught at the Royal College of Art, she's now establishing a design-driven MBA at Central St Martins and also forms part of the UK government think tank on applying design thinking to policy issues. What is design? Can anyone be a designer or practice design? Different fields have their own view on design, such as the engineering school, that was her own starting point to design, or more styling or communication-based approaches. Yet all have some common features where design has a broad and divergent view of the subject matter and where ideas are made more tangible. Kimball says that design, at its best, brings things into view, and so can be potentially disruptive both in the solutions it can offer, as well as the differing mindset required by those who practice it in an organisation. The advantage and disadvantage of design, according to Kimball, is that design has potentially no boundaries, which is good from the point of view that anyone can tackle and contribute to a problem, but that they may not always be qualified to do so. As the world has become more complex, with the necessity to link previously disparate areas to find a solution, so design has offered the potential to do so, promoting a culture of inquiry and curiosity, which nevertheless contrasts with the operational, routine-based view of many company managers. Why is design useful? As well as the previously mentioned potential for tackling complex problems and engendering a change in the culture of a company, Kimball says that design has specific advantages to offer in the early stages of a project, where there may be a poor understanding of a solution or where people have a tendency to jump to the solution. Although fields such as anthropology and sociology offer a more sophisticated means of understanding the user and the issue, design offers a more accessible means of achieving the same aim. Many design features are reflected in modern concepts such as lean startup methodology, including agility, iteration and experimentation. Yet unlike design, Kimball believes that such approaches don't always make it easy to scale up such an approach as the enterprise grows. How may design be successfully delivered in the MBA world? Having taught several hundred MBA students since 2005, Kimball has come to understand what is required for this to work. From a core group of 225 students, each year around 50 to 60 choose her elective. These days, with a clear objective of learning about design thinking, given the increased visibility of design-led companies and consultancies like IDEO, Apple, Frog and Airbnb. Rather than talking about design, Kimball focuses on practice and allows her students to do design, partnering with Master of Arts design students to follow the process of exploration, insight generation and idea creation. She shows her students that ideas don't simply exist in one's head to be made tangible, but it is through the process of designing, sketching, prototyping and role-playing that ideas emerge. She finds it difficult to enable students to engage with real stakeholders in the field within the total 24-hour confines of the elective, but facilitates this through third-party research and user profiles. Her students either love or hate the class but all encounter an experience they are unlikely to forget. Much depends on the thinking style. Highly rational, ordered thinkers often encounter a deeply uncomfortable experience that they don't enjoy, 
whereas more disordered, messy, explorative thinkers are more at ease with the ambiguity that characterises the class. Kimball says that the class offers them an opportunity to put into practice some of the techniques and knowledge gained in other parts of the MBA and offers an encounter with making the world. She believes that some of the barriers to accepting her different learning experience may even be traced back to primary education, which does not offer enough space for playing and creative thought. Should we rethink design thinking? Although the great attention paid to design, and particularly design thinking, over the past few years has its advantages, there are also problems through some of the confusion it has caused. IDEO has been highly skilled at articulating and packing the product of design thinking. Also progressed in a slightly different fashion by authors such as Roger Martin, who offers a way of framing problems and asking what if. However, neither are based in deep academic research, and for many in the design as a science community, none of the recent discussion has been anything new. Design, in some ways, has become known as a toolkit, which misses the complexity and nuance of what design is and how it can have an impact. Designing a better world. In having a focus on social design methods and designing better futures, Dr. Kimball's approach to design is therefore one that fits with notions of responsibility that we have discussed in the previous chapter. Greater attention is now being placed on how design, more than just helping, for instance, in the design of a new consumer product or first world service experience, can make a difference in creating a better world. IDEO published the HCD, or Human Centered Design Toolkit, in 2009, with the specific intention of overcoming challenges in the non-profit world through a deep understanding of human needs. Partly founded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Toolkit is a free innovation guide designed specifically for NGOs and social enterprises that work with impoverished communities in Africa, Asia and Latin America. Innovations have resulted in the areas of clean drinking water, blood donation and heart defibrillation. Much of the ethos of the HCD Toolkit is reflected in OpenIDEO.com, an online platform where anyone can form part of the community where people come together to design for social good. Design, therefore, has the power of creating a better world because it looks at solving problems in unconventional ways or in non-optimum conditions. Given that it is process-based, method-driven, human, hidden and holistic, it can tackle complex, wicked problems as well as drive common-sense solutions on a simple level, such as how we may approach the world of work and its fit within life to improve health, well-being and performance. Design reframes problems as opportunities. Nike looked at the problem of recycling massive amounts of plastic bottles and used them to manufacture football kits. It takes 18 plastic bottles to produce each full kit, with 100% recycled PET shorts 96% recycled PET shirts and 78% recycled PET socks. Sustainable solutions designed for the developed world. Sustainable solutions designed for the developing world include the life straw, which enables the consumption of clean water from almost any dirty water source, given the ability to filter out harmful bacteria. One of the most impactful organisations in this space to date 
is Krista Donaldson's DREV. Donaldson, who was a colleague of mine at the Centre for Design Research in 2001 when she was finishing her Stanford PhD, founded DREV in 2007 and has gone on to develop not only products, but the necessary systems, financial models, licensing deals, consulting services, and manufacturing arrangements necessary for those products to work. The original assumption that market conditions would allow well-designed products to flourish didn't work because most developing communities don't have efficient markets. Cronyism, corruption, or just a simple lack of basic infrastructure or understanding of the value of a simple innovation meant that adoption wasn't straightforward. With a fuller understanding of the key adoption criteria and the necessary collaborations, DREV is helping thousands in the developing world with products including low-cost prosthetics and an LED machine that treats infant jaundice. Design your life. Design has made a lasting impact on my life. Some of the attributes that have marked my career and that have sometimes got me into trouble too, including an exploratory, curious nature seeking out new collaborations and a breadth first versus depth approach to tackling a problem, have come from my training in design. In a complex, shifting world where an appreciation of different fields is required to enable change on the system level, I believe this to be the greatest advantage of being a design thinker. Design also has the potential to impact powerfully on the lives of others and make them better. From an understanding of specific needs in extreme environments, the simple solutions are often the best. Being comfortable with possibility and ambiguity when allied to a rigorous education in the business of business has much to offer the leaders and managers of tomorrow. How may we better understand and empathise with the day-to-day reality of human beings around the world? What is your own day-to-day reality? And could we redesign that for better health, well-being and performance? And so, to the fresher race, I won, accelerating through one of the deep, omnipresent Glasgow puddles that lay around the lock as my rival slowed and opening a gap that would remain until the end. The prize, rather fittingly for a Scottish student, was six cans of beer in addition to the fresher shield. It kick-started my athletic career and I would go on to captain the university cross-country team as well as the Scottish University Select, later becoming national duathlon, think triathlon for bad swimmers, champion. I graduated from the University of Strathclyde with a double blue in athletics and duathlon as well as my academic degrees. Racing later around the world against some incredibly tough full-time and part-time athletes increased my belief in the metaphorical and practical value of sport for business, but one in which an understanding of design in all its depth, yet its simplicity, is necessary to make that transfer work.